sweating in bed keeping you up at night? Whoa, get your mind out of the gutter. This isn't that kind of commercial. You need the cooling power of Purple, the mattress that is. It's comfort reinvented thanks to the Purple Grid. It allows air to flow through, so you sleep cool and comfortable all night long. And it flexes and cushions no matter what position you sleep in. Hmm, maybe it is that kind of commercial. Anyway, save up to $400 on select Purple mattresses and bedding bundles. Get yours at purple.com slash sleep in. Terms apply. All right, this is Anthony Roberts with UTA Radio, and you're listening to The Reality Is. This is going to be the best 120 minutes of your day. I promise you, I promise you, with good music, great topics, so make sure you're listening in. And like I say, we got a lot of good music coming up. If you have any requests or any questions about anything, you can hit us up on the request line at 817-272-2651. Again, that's 817-272-2651. We still have special guests coming back in. I don't even think they're going to be guests after today, Christian Evans and Gary Green. So you guys listen in. All right, and that's Rick Ross with Brimstone with Big Crit. Um, hey, hope you guys liked it, but we got some better uh, topics coming up today. Again, you're listening to TheRealityIs.com here on UTARadio.com. And I'm not even going to say special guests anymore. You guys are here last week, and it looks like you may be holding it down with me for the semester. So we got Gary Green. We got Christian Evans. We got a full house today. You guys ready, man? We in that thing. Let's do it. (laughs) So, you know, first off, I want to say, you know, it's it's not happy Black History Month, but I'm glad it's Black History Month. I'm going to use, what is it, 27 days, 28 days? Mm -hmm. I'm going to use every bit of these 28 days to make something happen. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start it off first with the first topic of the day, and it's um, we're asking you guys, is there a need for slavery movies nowadays? And if so, what's your view? If you have any questions, you can hit me up at uh, Sir Robert Poe on Twitter or Facebook at Rob Poe or Anthony Roberts. Where can they hit you up if they have any questions, Gary? They can hit me up at Rev Green 2 on Instagram, uh, Gary F. Green the second on Facebook, and Rev Green 2 on Twitter. Where can we find you at, Chris? You really can't find me on Facebook because I don't hit <laughs> oh, my Oh, man, stuff. that is like but secret it, it is, but you can find me on Instagram, CM underscore Evans. All right. Uh-huh. So is there a need for slavery movies nine days? And the reason I wanted to go with this topic is I know a lot of people, um, when Selma came out, everybody, you know, was kind of like, why do they keep putting out these movies? You have 12 Years a Slave. You have Selma. You know, of course, going back like 30 years ago, you have Roots. And you just, it's like you continue to have it. And I think for anyone who's like 30 and up, it's kind of like, okay, we've seen this same song and dance. We get the point. And you just hate seeing your people in that aspect. Mm -hmm. But the reason I think it's a good thing is because the new kids, they need it. Mm -hmm. You know, like we kind of talked about, you know, last week about interracial dating and racism. Like the color line is a little bit blurry or murky for the younger generation because, you know, they're seeing it on TV. They're hearing it in music. You know, you got Kim Kardashian and Kanye and people that young kids look up to far as rappers in the movies and they see that. But they don't know the history behind it, you know. And it's okay to date, like we said last week, you know, far as interracial dating and things like that. But it's like you need to know the history of where you come from and why your parents may say, hey, be careful about this. Be knowledgeable about that because you need to know where you come from. And a lot of young kids, they don't even really believe that this stuff happened. Right. Right. Well, And I think I think it's crucial. I mean, I, you know, and I, I, I feel what you're saying, because a lot of people do uh, have that attitude where, you know, why are we still having these kinds of movies? It, because it's a part of our nation's history. And uh, and so many people, white people especially, but not just white people. I've, I've heard some black folks, too. Um 
want to forget about that part of history and act like it never happened or, or just want it to go away, and it, it doesn't go away because yeah. you still see different effects of, of that history today. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's crucial to have those kinds of movies because uh, schools aren't teaching the correct history. I yeah. mean, schools are, are kind of glossing over that, like yeah. it's just a sore spot, but not something that they want to talk about in reality. So, you know, I appreciate movies like Selma, because, especially when, when you have – uh, black director, black female director, yeah. and you have people who have the best interests of of all people in mind versus just trying to paint a picture where you know, oh, this happened, but it wasn't a big deal, yeah. you know. So, yeah. I think it's crucial. You know, I was uh, talking about this a couple of months ago, and it was just like, man, it's been rough to be white in this country the last couple of years. All these white guilt movies, is what I call them. You got, <laughs> I mean, you got Selma this year, last year. I mean, you had Twelve Years a Slave, yeah. Django. Uh, uh, even the butler, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know the hell. The hell I mean, yeah. all yep. these movies coming out, and yeah. it's like really pulling at the the white guilt streams. But the way I look at it, man, is like, do we need it? Yeah, but I think the problem is, is like we put these vast things in history, and we we snapshot it into like a two two hour movie. Yeah. Whereas we do ourselves a disservice by, like you were saying, not teaching it in schools and just integrating it into regular history, you know, we put it all in one month, but if we were to teach all history, like, uh, in tune with each other, so when you're talking about the American Revolution, you talk about, you know, how did slavery kind of get to where it was, like, how it was an economic, you know, Mm -hmm. growth thing for the South. Like, if we were to talk about even moving through slavery, civil rights, like, all we think about civil rights is the 60s. Right. But what happened from, like, when, when, you know, slavery was ended, 1865, I think, to, you know, ni- ni- right. uh, 19... What right. was that whole 100 years? Like, right. reconstruct... Yeah. Like, we don't really get into the right. the real, like, nitty-gritty yeah. of it. And, like, even to the, the point of historically black colleges and universities, I had a buddy, a uh, white friend, one of my best friends from high school, he was like, you know, why do we need... Uh, you know these black colleges. Like, why do y'all have BET? Like, why? Like, why do we have to divide our 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 races? And you know, why do you focus on when you do community service? Why is it you know focused on blacks? Yeah. And it was like the thing about it is like I'm not. I like I love all people. Like yeah. I coached you know a Pop Warner team, and it was mostly white kids in L. A. It's not about like the color. It's just you know I have a certain kind of affinity towards my people, and I understand Correct. you know what was the purpose of. Historically, but I was like, dude, I couldn't go to the University of Texas at one right, point. Yeah. Right. Like, we couldn't go. Right. So they had to make Texas Southern. Yep. They had to make Prairie View A&M and, you know, all the great schools. And it's a great debate, even with my friends. You know, I make jokes about HBCUs, but at the end of the day, without it, we wouldn't even have <laughs> yeah. a black intellectual class, yeah. you know, at the right. turn of the 19th century or whatever. Yep. So it's like, yeah, we need these movies, but really what we need is a full integration of the entire history of this country. And if we just keep making it black this and black that, it's like then we do everybody a disservice. A disservice. Yep. The problem is, though, is that when when we have these classes that, that try to or purport to teach the entire history, they teach it from a perspective that does not do uh anybody who doesn't fit the dominant culture justice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we could get into Native American culture and, yeah. and the history, you know, if you're going to tell the history, tell it, tell it, tell it in all its brutality, tell it the right way. Yeah. You know, so we can see where we came from and so we can see that we came from, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and have some, you know, be proud of ourselves from, because we have made progress, yeah. but there's still work to be done. And I think as long as we tell history with a skewed perspective, then we can we we think we're further along than we actually are. Yeah, and I feel you on that. Like growing up, you think about 
you know, the lessons we got in school. Like, we had a whole year of Texas history class. Think about it. A whole year in a seventh grade year. in Texas. We learned the full Texas history. Davy Crockett. I, I mean, every the Alamo detail, <laughs> like every gunshot of the Battle of Alamo, right? Yeah. And David Crockett Santa wore a Anna. Right. 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 We know he wore a raccoon hat. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, but it's man. like, you know, I, I just think, like, if we were to put the, that same kind of effort in, and, and you know, I, I don't know, I really enjoy it. I think the last few years I've taken the time to kind of go through history. Yeah. Um, especially with, you know, President Obama uh, being elected. It's just like, well, that's awesome for, for what it was, but let me do a better job for, to, of understanding where I came from, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah, man. But I think um, also um, one of the bullet points I wanted to address with the topic was, I was asking myself when I was thinking about is there a need for slavery movies, and I was thinking, are more white people watching these movies? And they are. Mm-hmm. And I know often when I do go see these movies, I always go like to North Park or you know somewhere in North Dallas to see. Man, it literally it's like if the, well, the they only theater, got one theater yeah, south of yeah. uh, I thirty. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's choices. like you know the fact that they're in there. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times mm-hmm. it's making white people aware of their own history because oh, not yeah. to be funny, their grandparents are not telling them this stuff. Because right. if so, then that just if if, if somebody is telling. If I met a white person and they knew the history of what they pe- their people have done, to not just blacks, but like you said, Native Americans, if they knew that history and they still acted as ignorant, and some of them do, but and still acted as ignorant, dude, that's an issue. But I know a lot of white people that's my age, you know, yeah. friends, colleagues, and it's like when they see these movies, I get texts all the time and it's like, this really happened? Like, yeah, it really happened. And I think it's sad for a lot of white people, men and women, to be past this age of, you know, being 30 years old or 20 plus, and you have no idea. Right. No idea that your ancestors did this to other people. You know, like like we talked about last time, a lot of times they don't even know that, okay, yeah, it's America. Mm -hmm. They don't know that they railroaded, you know, Native Americans, Union Pacific. A lot of people work for Union Pacific. That was one of the, you know, that was the first railroad service that was, you know, moving and killing Native Americans and everything else. And, Mm -hmm. you know, had slaves, Japanese, Asians and blacks working for them to build that. And then I think the issue is with black people who know the history is a lot of white people don't even know why they're targeted. You're targeted with Native Americans because, you know, you stole from them. You're targeted with Asians and blacks because, you know. You, you you had us in slavery working for you. Well, you're, from an Asian perspective, you even put them in concentration camps exactly. at one point, right? You know what so, I'm saying? So it's yeah. like when everybody sees, when they call them white devil and all of this, a lot of times they don't even know. But if they read their history, they would be more aware of it to where it, you're not ignorant to the fact. Because it's hard to watch a movie and feel like, you know, a lot of times their, their ancestors have taught them, we deserve to be this way. I can't remember the scripture, but they used to talk about like where God talked about the beast and everything like that. Mm-hmm. They relate black people to that beast mm-hmm. that God is talking about in the Bible. Yep. And it's like, really? Mm-hmm. It, so, I mean, I think it's a good thing for, you know, the movies are still being made so the young black kids can see it. So the white people who are not aware of, you know, their own history can see it. And it, I think it needs to continue, bro. Yeah, that's one of the things you talked about earlier is like, you know, the ancestors for, you know, a lot of our white friends don't really share kind of what they went through. But if you think about the young black black kids, they don't really have that anymore because a lot of the grandparents, they didn't live through that like exactly. it was for us. Like, my grandfather was a part of the Great Migration from South Carolina to Detroit, Michigan to get, you know, work in the in the factories. But, like, you think grandparents now, they're in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. They mm-hmm. didn't really go through that civil rights movement. Yeah. So they don't have that direct link and they don't get to hear these stories. Right. Um, but, I mean, I think also 
a lot of things, a lot of times, and I think Selma did it, is they highlighted some of the, the white people that had a, uh, they, they actually were very involved yeah. right. in the process of yeah. justice for right. our people, whether yeah. it be, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Lincoln. Lincoln yeah. was another white yeah. guilt movie. Yeah. But, I mean, you saw uh, Abraham Lincoln and, you know, how he was so strategic and, you know, getting the vote to end slavery. And then, yeah. you know, fast forward that to, to Selma yeah. and beyond, you know, the political part, but just to see the leaders within right. the, uh, you know, the uh, religious right. leaders come together to yeah. stand up for injustice, yeah. um, which was interesting to me to see, like, back in the day, the people that led the civil rights movement and just about any movement for justice was the religious yeah. folks. But now it's like there's so much brand management and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the religious leaders that we have that, yeah. you know, you don't want to be too controversial yeah. right? And, and how you approach uh, these issues we have today. But, uh, but yeah, man, I think you're starting to see a few of the, the leaders in, in the religious circle yeah. step up. Yeah. And that topic is kind of uh, kind of catapults us into the next topic. And, and that's why can't black actors get more roles in Hollywood? And um, I, I think we both know or we all know that there is still discrimination. And um, if I pronounce his name correctly, but David Oyelowo, uh, the one who played Dr. King in Selma, mm-hmm. um, I read an article where he said we are only celebrated when we play roles that are subservient. We're, you know, when we're uh, criminals or we're slaves, but we're never celebrated as leaders and kings. You know, he didn't get a, I think, was it an Oscar or what What just happened? Uh, yeah, the Oscars. Yeah. He, didn't yeah, get he, a he didn't get a nomination for it. And it's like the movie was crazy good. It was really good. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, like Denzel Washington, everybody talked about that, how he got the movie for Train, Training you know, Day. But, but not, he did so many other great movies. But, any other yeah, ones, yeah. but he had to be a bad guy to get that role. And you have all these great movies, but it's like we... It's almost like if if black people get an Oscar for one movie, it's not going to happen for a couple of years. You just can't. It's like you can't keep handing them out. You know what I'm saying? It seems that I way. agree. But I mean, we for a while there, it seemed like every year because the girl from 12 Years a Slave won an Oscar. They better but it's give always one. the white guilt yeah, movies that is. we went for other yeah, than, that's true. you know, Monsters Ball <laughs> and uh, and um, and Training Day. I mean, even Jamie Foxx. Right. He played Ray. You know, Killed that was it. that was yeah. I mean, that wasn't a subservient role. Yeah. That was just uh, I, so I don't know. I, I don't push yeah. too much into now, I wanted to the say, Oscars. Well, I wanted to say about the white guilt because he also went on to say about the white guilt. He was like a lot of those movies like 12 Years a Slave, as well as they, you know, the directors are making those movies where the white people are the oppressor. They also right. are viewed as the relievers of our pain, that's true. which is not always the case. You know what I'm saying? And that's right. kind of what um, the lady, I, I don't know her name, but the lady who shot the Selma movie. And she was only given a certain amount of money yeah. and nobody, no other directors were taking that movie because they were like, we can't make this movie work with this small amount. And she was like, I can. And she portrayed it in the truest light. And we've all talked about how we learned a little bit more about how uh, Dr. King strategized the right. movie, yeah. how he, you know, they showed his indiscretions. You know, she made the movie realistic to where it's like you look at him and you say, as powerful as Dr. King was as well, he was a human being. He was, just right. a man. he was a man who had power. People followed him. He didn't ask for the power, but he knew what he needed to do for change. And yes, women, every woman is attracted to a man with power. It's hard not to do some of the things that Dr. King may may have done. But a lot of times you hear people be like, oh, he was, you know, uh, a male whore or whatever like this. But he had an indiscretion like all of us do. But it doesn't take away from the movement and his vision of what he had. So, you know, he was talking about, you know, how in that movie with Dr. Uh, Dr. King or the Selma movie, you saw the perspective that Dr. King came from. Yes, white people helped out. But at the end of the day, we need white people for things to be pushed forward. But in that movie, it also showed that we 
were the ones that were oppressed, but we are the ones also who fought out of that oppression to make things better for ourselves. As opposed to white directors saying, we oppressed you and we're the ones who forgave and relieved you from that, yeah. which is not always the case. Absolutely. So I like that aspect of, you know, the way he came at, you know, the way David Oyeloa, mm -hmm. you know, that's a difficult name. <laughs> yeah, I just call him D.O. <laughs> but um, Chris lifted up something I like, though, you know, because in any in any movement, any kind of justice movement in, in our history, the ones that have been effective have have been the ones where we ha we had allies, and that's one of the things that yeah. you know when we talk about these these issues of racism and 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 uh, oppression and things like that. You know, a lot of white people, a lot of my white friends and people who I interact with on Facebook just assume that 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 it's it's you know we just have this anger toward all white people yeah. or that we hate white people, and that's not the case. That's not the furthest thing from the truth. We just want to be the story to be told right. And for us to be able to move forward together rather than acting like certain things didn't happen yeah. and, and just basically saying, okay, just get over it. You, it happened you know, hundreds of years ago. It's over. It's not really over. Yeah. And, and I think uh, – but one of the things that I do appreciate, like you said, about Selma and, and some of the other movies is we've always had allies. Yeah. I mean, throughout slavery, there were, there were people, there were people who, of the dominant culture, of white, of white race um, – who helped, who wanted, who, who thought yeah. that this was wrong, who realized that this practice was a crime against humanity yeah. and wanted to do something about it. Now, whether they had pro uh, power enough to, to cause change or whether they themselves got in trouble for trying to help, um, we still have had allies, and I think we have allies now, and yeah, we, we always have to have allies. Yeah, I mean, you got to. I mean, in the NAACP was kind of co-started by a group of Jewish men right. along with you know our black leaders. So, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer that in order for us to move forward even more from where we are now, we kind of got to leverage that yeah, that, that ally because, you know, that there's a there's a lot of white people that I think just have compassion for kind of the plight of the black person, mm -hmm. but they really don't know how to practice right. it. Like right. they don't know right. well, what can I do? Right. You know how exactly. you know I'm your friend, and you know we we get to talk, and you know I'm I'm not racist on any given day. Like I don't walk on the other side of the street when I see. I'm black. I'd be like, bro, I walk on the other side of the street, so I would not even judge you. Uh, <laughs> no, but no, I mean it's just true. And it's like, man, how can we like even now, like, how can we galvanize that and and turn it into like measurable solutions to kind of keep moving forward? Right. Because we need I mean, everybody. We, we really need, need, everybody, need everybody, and we got a long way to go a long way. as a people right, mm -hmm. to, to truly, I guess, arrive in this country, just arrive, period. Right. Um, and, yeah, we got to have allies from not just white. You know, Hispanics are in a similar right. case yeah, right and now. That's where, the thing. Like, there's so many. Like, when you talk about immigration, you yeah. talk about uh, um, LGBTQ rights. I mean, yeah. when you talk about these different uh, groups of people who are marginalized because of certain things. Like we all need each other, and we need those that are that participate more directly in the dominant cultural practices and things like that yeah. to be working together. That's I mean, we, we can't do it. Black people can't do it alone. Women can't do it alone. Like we we all need to be participating in a way that resists because right. we already participate. Everybody participates in racism. Everybody participates in classism, sexism. Yeah. But if we participate in a way that challenges those norms then we can start making some progress. You made a point earlier about the allies, right? And especially back during slavery, like I never really thought about it, but it, it was like you would get killed as a white person yeah. if you were helping a black, black people. Absolutely. You would get killed. So you had people 
white people literally giving their lives. I mean, the whole Civil War. Yeah. You know, but I mean, giving their lives just so they could fight, you know, for us. So, right. uh, you know, while we do have, I think, uh, some things to say about the race relations, I, yeah. I still think, you know, there's some there's some good white folks Absolutely. out there. So do you feel like, do you guys feel like that um, white people, so, I mean, we've already kind of addressed it, but do you feel like white people do get, you know, some blame that's unjust that you know that shouldn't come their way i think at times but i also think that it's good for 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 white people to be able to acknowledge um the way that they participate in racism yeah um you might not you might not be calling somebody the n-word you might not be doing that but you still participate in a system that that assumes white supremacy Mm -hmm. that white people are Privileged in, or are, are better than yeah, black people yeah, at, yeah. A, at a at a at a, a root level, yeah. um, and black people participate in that system oh, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, oh, and, yeah. and so you know, white supremacy. I look at it more of a system yeah. than it is a, a you know. Oh, I called you this, so I'm racist. Nah, our culture is racist, yeah. and uh, and if we're not aware of that, then we can participate in ways we don't even recognize we're per- perpetuating, um, but we are. So yeah. you know, I don't think that that white people are to blame. Um, but I think the accountability needs to be there. So I'm going to say something. You, so you, you, okay, and I just got this. I've had this debate like a million times. So do you feel like black people can be racist? That black people what? Can be racist. Can be? Yeah. Absolutely. And the reason I say that is because um, it's a clip. It's I don't know how long it is, but it's on YouTube by Paul Mooney, I think it is, where he's talking about, yeah. <laughs> but he was like, black people can't be racist because the word racist, the definition of it, if I'm saying it correctly, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's basically a race that can kind of be, that can control other people's outcomes. Meaning white people, a lot of them are head of companies, head of corporations, head of a lot of stuff. And they dictate how far we can move up. A lot of black people really don't have that pool or power or superiority. So he was like, how can we be racist when we're not oppressing whole, you know, whole countries and whole races? Which is kind of true because I felt the same way. I was like, you know, we can't be racist. We can, you know, you know, some white uh, black people do say things about white people or feel a certain way about white people. And it's like. I I mean I felt like that's what being racist is you know if right. you hate somebody else or you don't want or wish the best for somebody else to me I felt like that was racism yeah but cool. I watched it and I kind of understood what he was saying from it and I've had friends who feel like I'm crazy for saying black people can be racist when we're not the ones who oppress people right and I and I agree to an extent because yeah. I think I think what he he's speaking to an aspect of racism mm-hmm. um but I, but I think white supremacy is more. I think of it more, like I said, as a system. I think this, this has infiltrated everything that this culture does. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, just like uh, a white person can be racist toward black people, I think black people can be racist toward black people. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I'm not even. Uh, so I guess he's he's more so talking about you know black people being a, having the power to control, control based yeah. on race against white people. Correct. You know, maybe in some situations, maybe not. Um, but I do think that, you know, just like a man can, uh, just like a man and a woman can be sexist toward women. Yeah. Uh, you know, a woman, a woman can think that men are better than, than, a, than women, yeah. um, unknowingly, you know, operate in a way that assumes that. Yeah. And I think then that is sexist. Yeah. So, you know? so I want to jump back into what you said about the system and just thinking about how I view racism and it's like, yeah, you have your your individual racism. Right. And okay, if a if a white guy on the street calls me the N word, 
okay, bro, like that's cool. I'm, I'm not really worried about you. Right. The 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 real racism in this country is the institutional mm-hmm. yeah. uh, aspect of racism. From I mean, if you think about once again the Constitution, how it was written, it was written in a very racist way, right? Yeah. It, yeah. it marginalized us. We weren't even a full man in the in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Then you think about just over the years the laws that's been set up. That was three fourths um, rule, right? Yeah, something the, like the that. Three fifths, three fifths, something yeah. like that. Look that up if y'all don't know anything yeah. about that. So I mean, even well, and and to piggyback on that, and I'll, I'll let you finish. Um, uh, but I had to throw this in there when you talk about you know the way that it's institutionalized. I think. Uh, so many of the universities during the modern era in the in the United States that were built, you know, you had the philosophers like Rene Descartes and Immanuel Kant, and you got all these great philosophers that get to dictate how we even think about knowledge and learning. Sure. And you have these these very men saying that you know black people stink or that we're animals, and so it's it's. Man, I could get into that. If this you know what I'm saying? If you, don't, so, if you don't bathe a person, they're going to smell. <laughs> if, this is, if this is serious, I'd like, man. Yeah, so anyway, uh, you I mean, in addition to what you're saying about it being institutionalized as a constitution, yeah. in the very fabric of the way we think about knowledge, yeah. the way we're taught to think about learning, and I mean, it's the, the philosophers that, that our schools, that elementary schools and middle schools and high schools use, I mean, it's coming from that kind of way of thinking. So, yeah, Let me just show you how immature I am. In my philosophy co- class and political science class, they said Kant. And I was like, what? I said, who? I said, I said, I said I'm going to turn this uh, instructor in, this professor in. He's using inappropriate language. He's like Kantian uh, beliefs. I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but it don't sound right. Well, one of my one of my uh, professors, um, whenever she, she's she's not from the United States, and so when she says his name, it sounds. Yeah. yeah, and I and I'm and I'm more like yeah, that's a, that's an appropriate way of saying it. Actually, <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> how you're anyway. supposed to say it. Yeah. No, but yeah, I was I was actually that's where I was moving to was like the institutions of learning, um, even the the military. So I was in the Air Force, and the Air Force isn't. I mean, you're not going to get. I just didn't experience like one off like individual racism. Right. But the institution, even like the school, when you when you go to like our honor wall where we have you know, the the great men that have been Air Force Academy graduates, I mean, there were no black people up there. And sometimes they went back even further in the history from, like, the West Point days and that kind of thing. And then you look at the, you know, the Medal of Honor wall, and it's still, it's just like, man, yeah. when, you're, when you're me and you're walking through the halls, you're like, man, can I be right. great? Right. Can I be great like in this Air Force where to. I don't right. see yeah. others? So... Um, and it's I don't think it's like an active thing. They're not like trying to do it. Yeah, right. But it's just one of those things where it gets in your mind as a, a freshman cadet that, man, can I be, a, you know, uh, an ace pilot yeah. and go on and, and be a Medal of Honor winner or be a, the commander right. of whatever? And, it, you know, it kind of starts to eat at you a little bit. And that's the scariest thing about racism and classism and the other kinds of oppression in this country is that. A lot of times we do it and don't realize we're doing it. Exactly. It's not, that's the thing that, that yeah. I try to tell my friends, my white and black, I'm like, it's not that you're being accused of being overtly racist, but you're being asked, you're being invited to be overtly anti-racist. Yeah. Because if you're not intentional about pushing back against it, then chances are you're doing something you're doing to something perpetuate to it. it. Yep. Because it's systemic. That's true. You know what I'm saying? That's so. true. Well, that's a good topic, man. We can talk about that all day. We're going to jump into the next one, which is uh, we're going to get back into some music first. Um, Keep you guys tuned in. But the next topic is coming up is going to be about relationships. I promise you, you definitely want to hear that. 
you want to, and it's, it's, I mean, I say women, you should definitely listen. I mean, if you want a few pointers on how to keep your man, how to make sure he's happy and make sure you're taking care of home, you know, listen in, come back in about 10 minutes. We're going to jump into the next song, which is going to be Big Shun. And it's called Paradise. You're listening to utaradio.com or realityis.com. And we'll be back in a minute. Wheezy. Uh, yeah. So we're back and we're about to talk about relationships. I think um, if you're listening, you should text somebody or call somebody else and let them know that right now is probably the time that they should be listening. So with the relationships, the first one we want to talk about is basically we want to give some tips on how to help a woman keep a man. Now, we don't have really any females that were really willing to talk or, you know, this week, Stephanie, uh, Dominique, <laughs> you know, just to give out, you know, call out a few names, you know, people who don't, they don't be wanting come, to get on the radio. come way in next week. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, but my whole thing far as, you know, keeping a relationship kind of fresh and, and, and making it happen from a man's perspective, if I'm, if I'm dating a woman, is I want a woman who's open-minded, mm-hmm. open-minded mm. and willing to do things are open to change, not submissive, not taking you back to the 1950s, but just saying, you know, being willing to do some more things. You know what I'm saying? You have to be as a man, if you are, especially if you are an attractive man. Now, you know, if you just like, you know, not being arrogant, a basic guy, you got to take like, what you can get. You got to take what you can get. <laughs> but, you know, when you're a guy who can have, you know, I mean, being realistic. But if you're a guy who can have, you know, more than one woman or you have your choice at who you want to date, the woman there, you have to be willing and open-minded because, like they always say, what you're not willing to do, somebody else is willing to do. Now, I'm not saying, you know, degrade yourself to hold on to a man. I would never say that. But, you know, you may have to almost get there. No, I'm just playing. But you have to be open-minded, though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You really do. And let me put a plug in. Uh and vice versa. Y'all already know I'm a feminist, exactly. a womanist ally. Hey, that's what it says on the yeah, paper. Absolutely. So, and vice you know. versa. So we're speaking from our perspective, but for those listening, we're trying to get some women in here to be able to give y'all's perspective too, so this thing can go both ways. So exactly. anyway, I just want to throw that in. So so that nobody gets it misconstrued. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and when we're talking about open minded, we're talking about, you know, be willing, you know, sexually be open minded, you know, as far as how you dress, you know, be open minded. Date nights, they have to happen. You know, if you have kids, Mm -hmm. you have to set aside time, you know, for your man, even if you're married. You know, this is not just for, uh, you know, relationships. I'm not married. Mm -hmm. You know, Gary's married. Me and Christian, you know, we're dating and, and, and I'm in, you know, we do the relationship thing for now, you know. But what you have to look at as marriage or just as a woman in a relationship, you have to set time aside Mm -hmm. for your for your significant other. Actually, one thing I've heard always is like you should be. Actively dating your spouse, right? right? Yeah, Even exactly. no matter if you're boyfriend and girlfriend, you know the best time for a woman in a relationship. I'll just be honest, at least with me, it's probably like the first three, three months, months, yeah, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm pulling out all, all the, the trips. You saying stuff? <laughs> all you the stops. I mean, the dates are are elegant and elaborate. <laughs> I'm gonna be dressed nice. I probably have been working out if I was trying to impress you, but once I get you. I, I let myself go. You know, you the dates. Like the, you sound like the woman now. Oh, my God. Hey, man, but I got options. We just said it. And you know what? That's the crazy part about it, too, man. As a man, you know, I, I tell people, I throw this scenario all the time. Rick Ross, you know, he's a plus-size guy. He's also a mix. But he's been eating a lot of pears, yeah. though. Yeah. He's a bride lane man. And, and he, he also has a lot of money. Yeah. A lot of a lot notoriety. Of 
So a lot of times, you know, you'll see guys and women. I'm, this is going to sound like I'm on your side. In this aspect, I am. You may have, you know, if you're not Rick Ross and you don't have all this money and you're like 350 pounds, man, you can't be walking around talking about I want Holly Berry and I want a Beyonce. Man. Get in shape. Man. But you know what, though? I'm, You know, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to play the devil's advocate just because I see, like, big dudes and big women can have confidence and confidence, man, I think we talked about that last week. Uh-huh. Confidence is sexy. I don't it care is. who wears it. It is. But when somebody just it has confidence in themselves, man, you better go get you that Holly Berry. You better go get you that Holly Berry. You can. You know what I'm but saying? But you got turned out uh, 30 times, yeah, you, man, but you, you, you might you find might, one. You might. Exactly. But, you know, that's all right. And I tell people all the time, the most beautiful women are the ones who are not getting approached because a lot of dudes really don't like to be rejected. Oh, we don't. They do not like to be rejected. So they'll go get the girl that's kind of like subpar or she may have a little body, but face-wise, she's all right. I mean, no disrespect, but a lot of dudes go for, okay, I'm just going to really just, I'm, I'm, I can't just, help but be 100. You know, <laughs> now, as, as black guys, we all know, especially in high school and in college, you got a lot of black guys that date those plus size white girls because they're going to buy everything. <laughs> they're going to do oh, everything. Man. I'm just being real, bro. Well, And they know to feed off the big girl who may not be getting that much attention. So... Hmm. I'm telling you, bro. I, just, I cannot be the only one to know. No, that. I definitely know quite a few people that have they do that. been they in that feed practice. Off of that. But I just, I just have a fundamental problem with that. Like I could not bring myself to date somebody yeah. and ask them like to buy to me do stuff. All this I stuff. can't. I can't. Yeah. Do it. Well, but that's you, and I think exactly. a, a lot of dudes don't feel that way. Well, I mean, no, I, no, I, I especially in Dallas. You. Especially I agree the new with kids. you, and I yeah, and I agree with you, and I share that perspective. But man, at, at KU, man, it was. That's what you did. I mean, that's what what cats did. Like we talked about last year, you had these kids coming out the hood, going up to this, you know, all white campuses, and these girls got money, and they they found them a, a white girl, and and got a lot of their stuff paid for. And I'm just like, man, bro, y'all just taking advantage of people. Just but but at the same time, like I understand, I understand the mindset, what they were doing. They yeah. were trying to find somebody really to kind of take care of them, like they mama did. You oh, know what I mean? Man. So. It's just, now we're getting into some kinky stuff now, man. <laughs> oh, Come on, God. man. Oedipus <laughs> Complex? Is that what no, they call it? No, man. Forget Freud, man. Freud was crazy. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but here's one of the questions that you had, uh, Anthony, was how many kids are too many when dating? Yeah. I think you, you kind of skipped over that one. And that was, I, I kind of like that question because, yeah. you know, in this day and age, a lot of times you find, you know, women with kids. Um and you know, I think when I was younger, I was like, "Man, I would never date a woman." Never, right? No way in hell. That's how, yeah. But now, it's not so much about whether or not they have a child. It's about how are they raising, raising that child. Yeah. Like, if I see a woman that is raising a son or a daughter to be, you know, a respectful, like focused on educ, like doing all the right things, that actually becomes a turn on yeah. to mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, if you're single and you don't really have anything to worry about. Um, so yeah, I think I just don't want to come in and have to take care of. Them. I mean, probably three kids might be the limit, though. Three kids, I'm not even <laughs> you going. Asked to, how many is too many? Three, yeah, three kids has to be the limit. Um, I, I'm I'm like you, man. Before you know, a couple years ago, I used to be like, you know what, man, there's no way in God's green earth that I'm dating. I mean, I actually, you know, I I, I this is the honest to God truth. I actually went on a date one time. The kids man. came too. No, no, man. If I, I if, <laughs> man, come on now. I went on a date one. Chuck E. Cheese day. Yeah, I went on a date one time, man, and I, you know, I was getting to know this girl, and we were at the bar talking, and you know, she told me she had kids, and very attractive, very great conversation. The night was cool, 
And she told me she had kids, and I was like, how many do you have? And she was like, I have three. And I was like, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't think that would happen for me because the way I think of it when I think of women with kids, if it's a possibility of it working, I'm going to have, I'm going to want to have one for myself. So I was yeah. like, if I have one, we have four, and if we have two, we have five. There's no way in hell I'm going to have five kids. Ain't going to happen. I won't eat. If I have five kids, unless I'm rich, I'm going to be wearing T-shirts and jeans for the rest of my life. And but see, and that, and that makes sense because, but I think it it's not so. It's not necessarily just about the woman having kids, but it's about you know where you fit into exactly. That mix, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot and, of people don't know the balance, right? Right. And I think a lot of times, you know, I think we probably all grew up with that mindset, like I wouldn't date somebody with kids and stuff like that. And yeah. obviously, I don't have that problem now because I'm married. Yeah. But if I were single. I wouldn't have that mindset anymore because, you know, you can't fault somebody from, you know, everybody got a past. Yeah, everybody got everybody. experiences True. and things. And I like what you said, Chris, about it's about how this person is raising that kid. And the fact that, that, that they're doing what they can to raise that child, they're not looking for you to be, right. you know, yeah, daddy, daddy, you know, stepdaddy yeah, on, on the first date. Yeah, that's another situation. But I think yeah. a lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people miss out on Potentially good, <laughs> you know, stupid. Potentially good relationships because of those rules they set. You know, we set these rules like, man, okay, I wouldn't date nobody with kids, right? And yeah. and you meet somebody or you don't meet somebody because they got kids, and that yeah. could have been your, you know, your mate or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. I don't it's know. True. I think it's, yeah. So my terms, I mean, I, I've like I, I agree with everything both you guys said. So my terms on dating women with kids is, for one, I was thinking about what I was about to say. Can't be over fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a grown man yeah, 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 talking to you. Man, you ain't my daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Voice you know deeper than you. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna <laughs> be with a woman who has kids, he needs to be. He and she needs to be less than ten years old. That's one. You know, because I mean, at, after ten, his mind is already made up about what his life is about and what he wants for his mother. Yeah. And it may not be me. So um, I agree. It's somebody who's probably you know has children that are respectable. And they're respectful, and they're also kids who are, you know, just like you say, have character because their mother has character, and yeah. not look in, in a situation where you can come in and feel like you can mesh. You know, you come in, you don't have to be the dad; you can be the friend and the authoritarian. And also, like you, we going back to say about the woman, you have to make sure you make time for them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're cooking right. for your kids and you're taking care of your kids and you're doing this, you need to be able to have some time to be able to pay your man some attention, maybe cook him a meal and, if, if, and vice versa. If it's a man with kids and it's a woman who doesn't, the man cook a meal or take her out to eat. Like you said, it should always be an actively dating situation where the man or the woman, which side, whichever side of the spectrum, they feel like they're being appreciated and there's some form of reciprocity. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. And a lot of times you have a lot of women who they get caught up in their kids and it's no time for the guy, you know, and then, other, you know, then it kind of goes downhill from there. Yeah. So which makes sense. I mean, because especially when, you, you know, you've been you spent your life, you spend your life with this child and then some dude comes into the picture. Yeah. So, you know, it's an adjustment. You you can't because dude can't come into the picture and expect it just be that dude right yeah. off the you know yeah, what I'm saying yeah. like you can't you know so anyway it's a transition it's an adjustment you got to respect the fact that this relationship has been you know depending on how old the kid is it's been for that long and mm -hmm. that you're new to the situation so I mean and it's a whole blended families kind of thing like yeah. there's always these transitions these major life changes that you know sometimes are a little rocky on the other side of that I'm interested to like get the plight of a woman with children and how she kind of goes about dating because I know 
Yeah. Like, you don't want to just bring a bunch of dudes around your kids. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you don't know. Like, the kids start asking questions. And, and, so I just, daddy? you know, I'm actually in here. Is that my dad? <laughs> <laughs> like, don't be a menace. Yeah, is that my dad? <laughs> like what, do you say, what do you say when you meet a nice man? <laughs> Are you my, my daddy? daddy? <laughs> it was like seven of them on the couch. <laughs> One of the best movies of all time. Uh, <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm actually interested to hear uh, a, a woman's perspective on that because, I don't know, I couldn't imagine having to be, you know, so selective in who I date. You know, yeah. you can't come to my house. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just think it gets a little hairy. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So w- with relationships and, and we, you know, we talked about that part of it. So what about relationships in a friend zone? Like when do you like would you date a friend and if not or like say, for instance, if you met a girl today, like how do you know whether to date them or put them in the friend zone? Or if you have a friend who's been a friend for years and they want to come from the friend zone and move up to you, to your mate, <laughs> when you know when to put when do you put a woman in the friend zone? Well, I'm telling you right now, if I'm putting a woman in the friend zone, first off, if I'm not attracted to a friend zone, friend zone. First of all, if she don't have no, if she's not educated in the way she's speaking, carry herself, friend zone, friend zone. Thirdly, if she ain't open minded about what's what, friend zone. If you ain't about that life sexually, friend zone. <laughs> okay, my question is true. How does somebody, how True. do you graduate from the friend zone? Like that's that's an interesting one. How can you graduate from the friend zone? I, I know, mean, guys. Well, I know, because I was in the friend zone with you graduated. my ex-girlfriend, and we were friends <clears throat> for like eight years before we got together, and we both dated each other's friends, so it gets a little weird. Yeah, that sounds so, like yeah, an that, episode that's of like Friends. The next right, right, Friends. Yeah. <laughs> or Lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I don't know what it was. Like, I do know what it was. She was just an awesome woman. I was like, well... I so she graduated up, or you graduated up? On each other? Well, I was the friend. I mean, okay, I was you. the one actively seeking her. Um, and I'll be honest, like I, where I got stationed, um, I put in where she was at. I kind of just went all in on trying so to get her to so like me. I mean, stalking her. I, I, I mean, I guess you can say you know what? And I'm glad you said it's not stalking because I'm it, just it, no, I know, but I, I, I mean, had the conversation. No, it wasn't. I've had that conversation before. Back in the day, let's just say the 50s, just to throw it out there. Just take it back over 50 years ago. If a guy, if you watch old movies, the guy pursues the woman, he shows up at work. He may not even get a number in the first encounter, but he finds out where she works. He comes to her job. He keeps coming. He brings flowers. He doesn't take no for answer. Leave it to Beaver. Ba- yeah, but back in the day, that was like that love. Was right. Now it's like, this nigga's crazy. Thirsty. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Thirsty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A Things guy have changed. Shows you a little interest. He's thirsty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things have changed, just man. Just a little hot outside. Yeah. yeah. Things yeah. have changed, man. Things have changed. But um, that friend zone thing. I mean, to 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 come out of the friend zone. Did you? Were you finished? No. What, what I was, was going to say is, you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta make yourself relevant. Yeah. For that person, um, I, I think it's like all about the amount of contact you can get with them over time. Yeah. And then honestly. What I, I just was like real with her. I was like, I I'm, I like you. I'm very interested in you. I think you're awesome. You're kind of you're my dream girl kind of thing. And I was like, I get it. Like I was a knucklehead when I was younger. So she was like, I'm not really trying to date you. You're kind of all over the place. But I was like, you know, I cleaned it up, and uh, I just kind of I did everything I could that would show her that my maturity level was at the point where we could start dating. So I mean, obviously there has to be that initial attraction like yeah. if, oh, if, if if you're on the other side of that uh looks thing and she's like friend zone you know she's yeah. like i'm not gonna date you <laughs> then you're i mean there's really no other right. way right. other than maybe you have a great personality right but yeah i understand um you know uh, one of the questions i had was could could somebody ever come out of the friend zone i haven't had anybody to come out of the friend zone 
And I actually think I have some pretty attractive friends, you know? But I just... I don't know. Once you put them in that category, man, it's dangerous. That's why I asked it's that question. It's dangerous to take them out, bro. The, the one time I did try, bro, honestly. Very blurry line. Yeah, it's a blind. I, I had a um, I had a friend um, in from literally elementary, middle school, high school. In my first year of college when I was going to Texas a and I, I just I really liked it, bro. And we would hang out, and I, we went to see Brown Sugar when it first came out. Mm. And I remember being in the movies. We went to the movies together, and... I don't know if I was reading the signals wrong. You know, it was cold. She kind of laid up under me and wanted my jacket. And I'm like, okay. You know, I was going with it. And then, you know, like. You were grinning on the you inside. You know what I'm saying? Like a- <laughs> Cheesing like a chess cat, bro. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then I went over there, like, a couple weeks later, and we watched movies. And, like, not to be funny, like, she got a pillow and she laid in my lap. And I'm like, you know. I'm thinking, you know, like Andre three thousand. She lives in my life. Like you, that's that. Forever my fiance. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I was like, this is a wrap, bro. So you know, like a week later, I remember calling and I was like, hey, you know, I feel this kind of way about you. I really like you, whatever, whatever, bro. And she was like, I, I, I like you. You're a nice guy. You're attractive. She's like, but she wouldn't let me come up out of the friend zone. Well, that was like the most devastating. Devastating. Thing. And literally, we only talked. It was probably 15 years ago, almost wow. 12 years ago, maybe. We've only talked maybe twice since then, bro. Wow! Like it literally messed up the continuity of the relationship, yeah. bro. You gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them. No when to no when to walk away. No when. But you never know unless you, you know, know, unless put the you cards it, on the table, man. yeah, bro. But, but then I, once I messed you do, it up, man. like like you said, like once you do, it's like it's no okay, going back. It's, yeah, because she it, always no, knows that you right. like her or look her there in that kind of way, right? You know what I'm saying. It is a loss. I wish I could say your name, but I'm a respectful person, man. You got dressed now, uh, young lady. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Looking like Black Jesus over here. You know what I'm saying? It's so funny, bro. When I went went and got my hair done one day, bro, and this is off topic, but oh well. I went and got my hair done one day, like last year, over in um, Cedar Hill, and these girls was doing my hair. And they were like, oh, I can't say the word, but they was like, oh, man, with these dreads, I bet your rate for women went up. And I was like, I was kind of like J. Cole. You know, before I was a B-list celebrity, I had this life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had waves before then. And waves, <laughs> Gary got, waves still pulled the girls in high school. Yeah, you put a wave cap on, you got a little mustache, a little peach fuck. You still getting some girls. I was like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've had girls come up to me directly because of my hair. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie, you know. Well, but must be nice. You know? <laughs> Chris, I know, you got so, a beard, I know girls man. that like the bald. That's yeah. what I said to them last night. And you're night, like 6'3", 6'4". Man, I've had girls want to talk to me, and then I stand up, and they be like, man, this dude, he's too short. <laughs> so you know what I'm that saying? That could be a whole a whole day, man, short dude. Yeah. Or, or short meat. Yeah. Well, you, I'm not going to worry about that part. When somebody told me in college, this, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Tall guy, short guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no. Oh, no. Like we Kevin Hart, but short dudes. <laughs> Give me some time. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. I'm just saying, you know, who was that? Uh, Career Steps that wrote the book talking about Shaq? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Then she said Wayne, you know what I'm saying? Well, hey. Bing, bing. Talk guys. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it just. It depends. It depends. But the friend zone, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I think it's the understanding between the two people who want to get in and out of that. So, also, we were talking about relationships um, being open relationships, not just marriages. But, you know, would you ever consider being in an open relationship where you're basically you? It's like, well, for married people, it's swinging. For us, you know, me and you being single is just like being able to do what you want to do. 
I'm going to tell you, honestly, if I could do that without any fallback or blowback, sign me up, please. Man, I don't know. Sign bro. me up. I don't think I can do it, man. What, what, what was the dude back in the day? The Bible days, they had a million, they had like gangs yeah, of women. It, yeah, but it was okay. You talking about crumble. Solomon, the wisest man of all time? Yeah, I don't think that was a wise move. <laughs> well, he so had let me many. let me ask you, Anthony, to that question. Would it, would you be because when an open relationship, yeah, both, I mean another dude from, can smash her too, huh? Yeah, are you? Would you be cool with that? You know what? If I don't care about it, he could do whatever he want to do. Now, if I love her, but I'm the, not gonna do it. That's you know the exactly. Thing. Yeah. So you're not gonna do it. Well, I would. I mean, maybe within the first three months before I start catching feelings, I could have a ball. <laughs> like really, <laughs> I mean a ball. <laughs> See, I used to be, I used to be Skinny. pretty narrow, pretty close minded. <laughs> I think in another life, in another life, I, I would try something like that. Yeah, I think you know, my wife and I are, are happy. Um, where All we right. are, you know what I mean. That's the, mo- but, that's the most important I'm, thing. But I'm, I am very, I'm a, am very open minded, and I think you know I don't fault people that do try things like yeah. that, and I don't, I don't judge. But you know, of course. <laughs> You know, traditionalism would say, "Oh, that's a sin," and yeah. you know all kinds of stuff. But at the same time, man, so many people doing that stuff on the low. Uh, you know, and our society, frankly, just does not is not cool with that. Yeah. You know, patriarchy and and these kinds of ways we think about relationships is not cool. We could because we think about relationship as ownership of another person. Yeah. We still think of it that way. Yeah. So you know, you can't have my girl, and this, this is my woman, and yeah. Well, at the same time, she's a person in her own right. So. Yeah. You know, if two people, I think if two people get together and they decide that they want to try that, if they want to be open, if they want to quote unquote swing or whatever, you know, do do you? Yeah. No. But but, but if that happens, you gotta you gotta have conversations up front about where the lines are. Now I'm know? not gonna go to like where a swingers party are. though. You know what I'm saying? Like I've had several invites to go, and I'm like, I just don't think it's anywhere. I don't think it's just wise to go somewhere where it's like a buffet of ass. <laughs> Excuse my language. A butt buffet. A butt so buffet. A, brood, a booty brouhaha. I just don't think. Booty hunters. You know what I'm saying? But I just don't think that's, you know, I don't think I want to go there. You no, know? No, I, but, but, but what if you just go for the experience? I mean, you go to say you went. Go to, to see what, what's out there. Well, the you know what? what you it, well, I wouldn't be against going, but I would have to know it's like quality people, too. Well, like, you don't want to go and it's just like a bunch of. Oh yeah. yeah, you know I, I, that's just like it's setting me up for the okie doke. Like I need to know that they have some kind of list that you know has some you know rules and regulations of about being in here. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I, I'm not really into the open relationship thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm I think at the root of it, I'm just a jealous guy. So yeah. I just wouldn't want um, my woman to be with another man. Mm-hmm. Invite. I wouldn't want. Her to, you know, I wouldn't want to be in front with a woman, you know, with her, mm-hmm. <clears throat> like in a marriage situation. But, I mean, I've I've known people that did it. It Honestly, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, what does that mean? So yeah. if you're dating, if you're not even married, you're in an open relationship, then what is, what is that? Like, yeah. are, are you, like, what? It's just like, all right, yeah. we're, we're not really in a relationship. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know, man. I'm not really into the open relationship thing, but... Hats off to the people that are. I don't know. It's not my business. I think yeah. people just need to be clear with each other about what the better what boundaries their expectations are. I mean, are. you've heard yeah. stories about the celebrities that uh, I think Robin Thicke and, and Paula Patton. Which man, I, don't I know. wouldn't need nobody else. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, you, what really don't need goes on. Uh, but, Paula I mean, of course, the rumors that they had one and then, you know, they had they had boundaries that were crossed. And, I don't think so. Paula Patton, the type of woman, man, if I had an open relationship and he gave me a chance to smash, I'm never going to stop. Even if he say, you know what, we've decided to not do this. I'm going to be the dude that's on the set 
You know, like when when Lurking. you know, like yeah, I'm, when she get come in the bathroom, I'm gonna be the dude like spray. You need some water. She's gonna be like, where did this dude come from? When she go buy shoes, I'm gonna be the dude getting the shoes. I'm like, you need size eight. I got you. Would you, you for Paula Patton say she was like, hey, I'll date you, but you gotta let me, you know, have the open relationship, but you can't. Would you do it? Man, you I would give up everything in my life. <laughs> she just got to promise me three days a week. If she can promise me, if she can give me three days a week, bro, I'm giving up. You know what I'm saying? What is that? Uh, off of, uh, that. What is that? Um, well, that's the best mix of it, black and white I've, I've ever it seen. It is, bro. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, I'm going to do that phone call like off of, uh, what is that movie with Eddie Murphy and him? Where he's like, baby, I, I ain't coming oh, home. Oh, Harlem Nights. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look, I ain't coming hey, home no Jimmy, more. <laughs> put your mom on the phone. Hey, honey, I ain't coming home no more. <laughs> I ain't coming home no more. Yeah, he, he got pulled up I'll with sunshine. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm done, bro. Anthony Patton. <laughs> yeah. I'll change my name. I'll, I'll even take name. away my middle name. <laughs> AP. AP. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I just... I mean, I, I would just give it up, bro. It's, it's no reason to even go anywhere. Paula Patton, man. Paula Patton. Yeah, she's fine. Idlewild was when I first saw Paula Patton. That was a movie that, that yeah I liked that I liked her. I think that too. was her first real yeah. real real gig too. Mm, 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 mm. What would you do? Rihanna's my girlfriend. Monica knows that. Rihanna, Rihanna now she Rihanna is the type that Rihanna would is do edgy. some things. Yeah, she is. Rihanna she is edgy. edgy. I don't, yeah, it, and that I mean that just that just carries over, bro. Rihanna make me feel like I'd have to have the bond. I'd have yeah. to say uncle. Like, oh, yeah. what, what yeah, are you, you know doing? What I'm please, yeah. stop. Please stop. Exactly, no. bro. No. Stop cutting me. Uh, yeah, Rihanna is a nice one, man. Every dude she messes with kind of loses. It's like Badu. Isn't she dating uh, the actor now? Who? Oh, what's his name? Uh, they say that, but I don't know. The dude that was know. in Django. Um, in in but, Titanic. Uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. They're dating now. That's what they say. I don't. Oh, I can't I see that. I can't I see true. that. Man. I can see it. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of smooth, bro. He's smooth. He's, but that's oh, what smooth. Oh, smooth yeah. ain't what Rihanna want or need. Well, he look like he probably could choke her real good. <laughs> I see that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he look like he could choke her real good. And hey, I, I feel like that's what she go for. <laughs> she the type that wants you to choke no. her till she almost on her last breath. Oh my god. <laughs> Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. yeah I'm telling you, man. I'm telling Different you, kind of I'm, 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 you know, but I'm just being real. So uh, we're gonna jump back into some music again. You're listening to Gary Green, Christian Evans, and Anthony Roberts on the RealityIs.com and UTARadio.com. I have a lot of people still hitting me up asking how do you uh, find the show. Go to uh, Anthony Roberts. You can find me on uh, Facebook as Anthony Roberts. And you just click on the link and you can watch us live. Or you can uh, click on the link on therealityis.com. That's T-H-A, therealityis.com. And you can watch it there. Or go on your phone, download the iHeartRadio app on your phone, put in UTA Radio or U-T-A-R because it has an issue coming up sometimes. And you should be able to listen up to us. We have about... A little bit under an hour left for the show. So if you missed today's, we're here every Saturday from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. So you guys need to listen in, enjoy. And, uh, oh, yeah, hit us up. Call us on the phone, 817-272-2651. All right, and we're back again. You're listening with UTARadio.com. The reality is um, UTA Radio is an iHeart radio station. Now our music can travel with you on your iPhone or laptop, wherever you are. Download the iHeart Radio app and look for the UTA Radio in the College tab. We're online all the time, UTARadio.com. If I read it too fast, you basically just go to your, uh, your Apple uh, application or app store on your phone, put in iHeart Radio, put in UTA Radio, Listen in every Saturday throughout the spring 
from 12 to 2. Boom. All right. We're going to talk sports a little bit or entertainment or whatever we want to talk about at this point. But I want to jump into Marshawn Lynch um, not talking at his press conferences. You know, he's getting a lot of flack for that. We actually even talked about it um, with one of my professors not too long ago. And, you know, a lot of people like to say, you know, he's an idiot or it's stupid to do it. But like I tell people, I think in Buffalo, he didn't talk that much as well. He did talk a little bit, but they started painting him as a thug and all these other derogatory things. So not to be funny, as the media does all the time, they paint things with a slant or they write how they want to write. Well, if you already know that's what they wrote about, why are you going to put money in their pockets by talking to them? That's just my perspective on it. Could he say certain things? You know, the only time he talks is, uh, you know, when he's talking about his charities or whatever the case may mm -hmm. be. And I know Larry Foote came on. Uh, well, they used a, a little uh, uh, excerpt from him talking uh, with Stephen A. Smith on ESPN First Take where Larry Foote was saying, you know, he's promoting uh, like a, a habit or a um, persona of like do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, he, he doesn't care if they find him. He wears a gold cleats. He wears the hats. And all of that. But Stephen A. Smith came back to say, well, yeah, he wore a hat about promotion of a company or a brand that he's doing. Tom Brady did the same thing. Nobody said anything. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's like as much as people try to talk about, you know, uh, Marshawn Lynch or not to be funny, black athletes, period. Like there's it, it's 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 just a stereotype, man. And they also even went on to talk about on that show, you know, when we were talking about earlier, um, what we're going to talk about, like the Chris Paul thing, you know, I was telling you guys about that, and they were saying how they were trying to paint it as, okay, is he passionate or is he out of line? Right. And That's the old Des Bryant thing. He's got so much exactly. passion. Right. Yeah. Right. So, and, and it's like, and, and that's what they went with it. They was like, okay, Chris Paul is doing this, but you have people like, um, what's the name? I, I forgot when you did it. But they, they talked about how Tom Brady was. It's like Psycho Tom. That's his nickname. It's okay if he goes off. Right. But Chris Paul and anybody else or any other black athlete is like, right. Okay, here so they for, go again. So for Marshawn, not speaking to the press, I think it's like it, it's people. Of course, the people getting mad that Marshawn's not talking to the press is who the press, right? That's press. The people exactly. who are reporting on it, and then they make a big deal and they just they play. It's like CNN is playing his press conferences. Look, if you don't like it, don't play don't it. Don't play it. Mm -hmm. Don't give it the life. But it's a story. But from, but from Marshawn's perspective, he gets to control exactly right. The the conversation, yep. and why not do that? Like, right. Sp the sports industry does not like it when the athlete That's takes right. control for themselves. Think yes, about sir. LeBron in 2010. Yeah. LeBron took control of his own, uh, I mean, his, his own career sure. in basketball yeah. because he was like, look, I don't care if I make less money. I probably make as much money as a lot of these owners do anyway outside of the NBA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So guess what? I can yeah. play with whoever I want. Mm -hmm. When he did that. People, uh, I mean, there was a huge backlash. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch, even uh, his teammate, the way that he's so outspoken on the field and what he does, like, they painted him to be some type of bad person, but, like, he has never broken any law. He's actually, like, graduated with honors from Stanford. Yeah. But once you take that control away and the media can't make the slant that they want to, they want to make and you kind of, yeah, you're promoting your own brand, yeah. then people want to attack punishment. you. That's punishment. Like, that's capitalism, yeah. right? And you have to, man. I mean, you, I mean, everybody knows it's a short life for the NFL. Yeah, 
yeah. you know, your shelf life. It, if you're a running back, they're saying uh, the, average the average person is three years, is like right? Two, two, two and, and a half, two, years, two and a half three like years. Yeah. You know, so I mean, you got to get in and kind of rake it up where you can. A lot of money is not guaranteed. A lot of people, you know, they'll sit back and be like, oh, he's getting paid X amount of dollars, but if he doesn't play or if he doesn't rush for a thousand yards or catch or hundred passes, he's not getting all that money. NFL, none of it is guaranteed. I yeah. mean, you have it's a very a pimp, little amount. That's, that's, that's why so much yeah. sub negotiations is okay. But how much guaranteed money right. do you get? Yeah. Because you know they, those contracts, man, and yeah. they have and they're written in the contracts that they're supposed to do those interviews. And and Chris, I love what you said about he's taking control. Uh, there was somebody from University of North Carolina, I think a girl on Facebook named Jaleesa Jones, who wrote an excellent article on uh, Richard Sherman and Marshawn Lynch. And I shared it on my page and commented on it. They're exercising their God-given agency. Yeah. Right. As human beings, they have agency, and, and they see something that's wrong with the system, yeah. and they're resisting it. Yeah. And what do you do when you go against the grain? You, yeah. you, you get punished. You get slandered. You get, you know, all the kind of societal and social constraints try to box you in. But yeah. So I love the fact that he's doing it because he can't not show up to the interview. No. He, he has to be there. Yeah. So he's finding a creative way to resist a practice that he does not agree with. Yeah. And I respect that yeah. because, like you said, so, much, so many athletes, you know, you, you hang the carrot of money out in front of their face and they have to do whatever you say. Yeah. Why can't we be agents also? Why can't we take control of our own lives? And so I think he's doing that. I think uh, Richard Sherman has done that in, in openly critiquing the system of you know NFL and ownership and things like that. And I think there are other athletes that do that. But uh, those two I appreciate because, you know, in the midst of being slandered and calling, calling them thugs, yeah. dragging their, their reputations in the mud, man, they still are resisting. And I mean, um, I know they were talking about or they spoke about how um, how black men with dreadlocks or tattoos are betrayed right. from this instant or this situation. They're like, you know, in corporate America. And I mean, Stephen A. Smith, he didn't say it, but he said it without saying it. It's white people looking on and saying, hey, this guy is rebellious. He doesn't obey the rules. He doesn't right. obey things. And they see black, they see dreads, they see tattoos, yeah. they see whatever. And he was like, it's basically changing or uh, forming or shaping the mindset for corporate America for other people who don't have millions of dollars, who don't have that opportunity. And, you know, like I said, Larry Foote went on to say, you know, he's basically the kids who are looking up to him in Oakland. They're going to probably try to do the things he do and resist, you know, certain rules and, and everything else. But at the, at, at the end of the day, when it comes to role models, because that's what it boils down to, it's up to the parent, man. Yeah. It's still up to the parent. Is he doing something wrong? He's really not. Mm -mm. Is it wrong the way some of the kids may, you know, perceive it or take it? It is because they may go out and be like, well, you know, I'm not going to do this yeah. at work. I'm not going to do that at work. But yeah. you're not a football player. You don't have right. those ties. You don't have that leeway to do those things. So I feel like it's kind of like being in the spotlight or being Marshawn Lynch at this point. I think it, as as me having my own mind, I think it's a positive thing. Yeah, like you say, they're branding themselves. They're you know building their own agency. But as a kid, if I had a kid and I saw that, I would be you know you got to teach them the difference, right? And what yeah. I hate about the media is like the conversation isn't about his on field performance at all, and or his he is like. Uh, I don't know, one of the best durable running backs we've seen in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years yeah. since, like, you know, the, the 90s, I think, was, like, the the age of the running back. Yeah. I mean, but he's, like, a throwback to that time where you can give this guy 25 carries a game. Yeah. You don't have to count his carries because you don't have to worry about, you know, his injury. You know, he's not injury prone in that sense. And the guy plays as hard as anybody I've ever seen in my mm -hmm. life. Like, you know, I didn't, you know, playing four years of college football, I didn't play all that long, but. 
to see him play football the way he does, it's mm-hmm. like talk about the effort he gives on the field, right? right? Talk about right. Richard Sherman's effort on the field. Right. Like this guy will lo- shut down a whole. So- I mean, just think about the NFC Championship. This guy got played with like a busted elbow. Yeah, but I mean, nobody's really they give him the you know, the props for that um, that yeah. they deserve. It's like the media they lack talking about the game yeah. in these days. Like even with Johnny Football, yeah. Yeah. like I mean, Johnny Football lives a life of the Kardashians. He really and, does. And for ESPN, like why is ESPN <laughs> reporting, reporting on that. Johnny Football yeah. in Vegas? Yeah, and a right. lot of sports people are kind of getting to a point where they're tired of it. It's kind of yeah, it's like right. watching TMZ. It really it is. should strictly be sports. Right. The statistics, the stat book. Whatever they're doing on the field in the press conference and after they leave the table or the microphone, it should be done. It should be done. You know, and, and that kind of leads us into the, you know, the Josh Gordon thing. You know, a lot of people saying, oh, does he have a drug problem? I feel like he should take some responsibility, as you were saying. Um, but I, after reading his open letter addressing um, Stephen A. Smith, Charles Barkley, and Chris Carter. Chris Carter. Yeah. Now, Chris Carter, I'm not going to lie. Me, personally, I just think Chris Carter, I'm not... I just don't agree with him. Half the stuff Chris Carter says. I don't want to say anything negative about it, but I think he does try to tie too many people's situation to his own. Like, not to be funny, I didn't even know Chris Carter had an uh, alcohol addiction, you right. know, when he played. Like, but that's the thing. There's a lot of people yeah. back in the, like, our yeah. heroes that had, uh, but sports was had, about, a, drug, had yeah. a drug abuse problem. But sports was about sports, like you said. And even then, they yeah. got the help they needed yeah. at the time they needed it, and then they moved on and had great career, exactly. Hall of Fame careers. Yeah. For With Josh Gordon, I don't feel like yeah, he wrote the open letter, but I don't feel like there's a. I think what he lacks is accountability and responsibility. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I get it. A lot of the stuff that he's gotten in trouble for, okay, you. It's like you could take it to something big and just. We were talking about earlier the institution of the war on drugs, right? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. seeped into the NFL where they overreact to you know marijuana use or. Alcohol uh, use or whatever. Yeah. Um. You could have your views on on drug use all you want, but at the end of the day, you know, marijuana and alcohol, like this is stuff that everybody in American society partakes in. <laughs> like you know, the majority exactly. of people Even are the drinking alcohol. Yeah. Even the police. Even Especially the police. The police. Even so, the politicians. Like, from that perspective, it's like what you're setting this kid up to fail. Yeah. Like he's been smoking weed since he was. 12 years old, yeah. right? He, I mean, a lot of people smoke. They don't hurt anybody. They yeah. just – so I, I look at it from both perspectives. Like, mm-hmm. the system is set up for him to fail. Like, you tell the guy you can't – zero tolerance, no alcohol. No, no alcohol. That's, that, I mean, that's – When that's, you make, when you make millions top. of dollars and invited to a lot of lavish parties. Right. Right. I mean, it's kind of hard not to take and a And they said, like, you are – like, you, a lot of the money that you get yeah. is from alcohol yeah. companies right. and stuff. That's so true. That's kind of unfair. It's contradictory. Yeah. The NFL has always been that way. But, I mean, you got to think about it, too. Like, the situation – this last situation was like I was telling you. He was on a plane with some, you know, some other teammates. They were going to Vegas for a party. If I'm on a private plane, lavish, I'm sure – uh, what do you call those people? The flight attendants? Oh. Man, I'm sure they was on point. Everybody was right. And he had two beers and he had two liquor drinks. Man, I probably would have had eight by the time I, I know. That By the time I landed. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, come on, man. Yeah. And if nothing else, the thing about it is, okay, he had four drinks. But even if he would have had one, he yeah, still would have got would, in the yeah. same situation bro right. so it's like really how bad is it right and it's like the nfl they pick and choose their battles so uh, it doesn't to there's no method to the madness yeah. to me yeah like in once in one instance like for years they had people with domestic violence issues that or even a dui they'd yeah. go out and play the next monday and then it's like you got this kid okay he popped positive for for marijuana i'm gonna be honest i believe personally that 
if not 50, a very good amount of players in all the leagues use marijuana. Uh, but yeah. I mean, guy, you, and if they're you not get using, this guy, using you don't the pill, which is it doesn't you know, make any sense to yeah. me. And then the way you carry out the punishment, it doesn't make. I mean, he's not using performance enhancers. Yeah, right. I just think you know, I, for one, I'll speak a bit about Charles Barkley. First of all, I just always had this issue in white America. Who made Charles Barkley the spokesperson for oh, black people? Jesus, like uh, he speaks, yeah, but it, they and, they yeah. interview him on CNN, on ESPN. They interview him on everything, like what he says He's goes. like the new Jesse Jackson. You know what I'm saying? And he, I mean, and you have to be and careful about how he disparages the black and community. He really does, Unduly, bro. I mean, and it doesn't have any grounding. No he grounding, just, he, bro. It's like he's a puppet. He's, yeah. he's living into that fame or whatever yeah. you want to call he's it. On, he, he's coming off as yes. an Uncle Tom, man. Yeah, he, Uncle he really Ruckus is. I wouldn't say that about Stephen A. Smith because Stephen A. Smith, you know, he does try to speak positively and always says, I care. But the one thing that made sense about Josh Gordon letter, like he said, you care so much, but none of them have called him. Right. None of them have right. reached out, shook his hand, or even met him before. So you're basically passing judgment on somebody. You really don't know. You're at, As a media person, you're going off what's put in the media, too. Right. Yeah. So that's why I said I get what they're saying about him taking responsibility and accountability. But at the same time, you're speaking about somebody you have no idea who this man is. Right. What You know, you, you really just don't know. But that's a great point because I think that goes that goes back to Marshawn Lynch, too. Uh, you know, I, I heard so many people talking bad about him on Facebook and Twitter and all these kinds of things. Um, but I watched the thirty for thirty yeah. that they did on yeah. him a while ago. Marshawn, yeah, they did. They did. It might have not been thirty for. It was one but of those specials, man. It was really good. Yeah, yeah because it talked about it talked about his upbringing. Grew up on the West Coast in the hood and things like that. Yeah, and uh, you you got to know him a little bit and the fact that he doesn't like to be in the public eye. He doesn't like to have to give all those interviews. Uh, I think somebody said his family said that he doesn't like to talk very much, even when he's home for yeah. the holidays. So why do you take this guy? And portray him in a negative light because he, I mean, he's there's certain hangups he has. Call him a thug. I mean, I got a guy that was my principal in high school. He calls him a thug. Yeah. And this guy has broken no laws. Right. He's done. He has beat nobody up. He's sold no drugs. But he's a thug now. And it's like, I don't know. And especially uh, where he came from. I want to go back to the Charles Barkley thing, though. So please do. You know, I'm gonna just. I, I personally, I'm a big fan of Charles Barkley because a few years ago, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to the. Uh, the Basketball Hall of Fame induction, and Charles Barkley was there. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a group of us uh, uh, Air Force guys, and Charles Barkley literally hung out with us the whole night. A mm-hmm. lot of guys were kind of standoffish. Was he drinking? I, I mean, he had a few beers. But, <laughs> no, but he didn't have to drink with us. Right? Yeah, he didn't yeah, have to. Yeah. He literally, him and the head coach of University of Georgia, literally hung out with us the entire night. The most down-to-earth guy. Yeah. Anybody that came up, he gave him time. Yeah. He's just one of the most down-to-earth people. Yeah. And I think a lot of times... He gives his opinions on things, and it's like if we remember Charles. I'm like, if I, is this the same Charles Barkley that spit on somebody? That went into the stands and tried to fight people, mm-hmm. and you know, it was just a, a nuisance a lot of times mm-hmm. yeah. when he was playing. I'm like, you have some very like, it's like it that comes off as hypocritical first right. and foremost. Right. And he's from Alabama, like country town in Alabama. So when you hear his views on like race relations and you kind of say it comes off as Uncle Tom. I'm not so sure it's Uncle Thomas. I just think it's from a perspective of I came from here and I've made it to here. Yeah. And not so much in reality. Like, okay, you're a Hall of Fame basketball player. Yeah. You're not a guy that, you know, right. um, like, I don't know, you get into some of the racial issues lately, like Michael Brown, who lives in that neighborhood, and you don't really know, you can't really connect to what he's going through right now. And I, I, I've had to deal with that, not on that level, but, you know, having – Made it to a certain uh, 
time area in my life where I'm kind of disconnected from you know where a lot of people have come from. Yeah. You kind of find yourself being a lot very insensitive to their plight. Yeah, yeah, and possibly, but I think he, you know, I, I think. The thing that you shared about his own issues, like I feel like that should make him more sensitive to somebody else's struggles. The, things he, yeah, yeah, the things he said about Michael Brown was absurd, man. Talking, yeah. He was like, yeah, Michael Brown was a thug. He shouldn't have yeah, been that blah, part, blah, blah, blah. Oh, basically man. justifying yeah, the fact bro. that he got he really killed. Did. I he love really Charles did, Barkley. Yeah. And he I never got to far, meet man. him. And he's hilarious, man. I enjoy him. And when him and Shaq be on, yeah. on, TNT, on TNT and TNT, stuff yeah. like that. But. Some sometimes he baffles me because I'm just like, yeah. dog, are you serious? Even, like, how can you bring front. yourself to say something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like he just he kind of gets into into that mode in the public eye and just goes with it, it goes not with thinking it. about what he's saying. And that's why him and Kenny Smith had that that uh, they kind of yeah. debated that because yeah. Kenny was like, you got to kind of put yourself in that situation. And we talked about well, I talked about it last semester on the show with that situation. I mean, because really the whole situation was I had I actually had a white friend of mine to come to me and she was like, what is your view on, on Michael Brown? And, you know, she was like, I've heard my family talk about it. I've heard what was said on TV. Well, it basically was, first of all, he didn't steal. If he stole, he wouldn't have went back to go get the casing that he, that he had left behind for the cigarillos. Mm-hmm. So he didn't steal. So he's walking home. He jaywalks. Police tells him probably get out of the street or whatever the case may be. I guess he yapped off and said something back, which that has something to do with home training. Should he have done that? No. It's an author, author, you know, authoritarian. You have to obey that. You are breaking the law by jaywalking. But I think from what I've heard and what I've count from reading, he pulled up beside him and it was one of those, I'm about to get out of the car. And you getting out of the car, if I pull up to you, I know if you're right there and I'm going to hit you with the door. He gets out, he hits him with the door when he's getting out. Mike Brown pushes the door back and that's where it all kind of, you know, it snapped. He was provoked, bro. And then, you, like I tell people all the time, the dude, you know, not to get on that, but, you know, the guy is 6'5 with a gun and a taser. You could have tased him. You could have shot him in the leg. You know, you can't say, oh, I was you fending for your life. You shot him six times. Well, from the distance, the distance, yeah, the have, distance yeah. that he shot him from the, the second round was like, okay, this boy charging at you, he that far away? And you yeah, fear for your you, life. And you got twelve rounds. I mean, off. You, you yeah, about fifty day, feet away. Like, like, come on, man. People just like people get so hu- inhumane in their reaction to yeah. it because it like literally that whole argument was split pretty definitively down racial lines. Like yeah. Yeah, almost yeah. all white people felt a certain way, at yeah. least from what I've seen. Yeah. And almost all black people felt a certain way. And at the end of the day, like no matter how you feel, you kind of have to agree. Like no life is worth dying for something so, so minuscule yeah. regardless yeah. Yeah. of everything else like no life yeah. is worth dying over something so minuscule I mean yeah. we yeah. really got off topic now but yeah. I mean I don't know I just think like that that whole argument was overblown and once again the media they they report on they make the conversation what they want it yeah. to be so I would just say I mean and, and if, if I was able to I mean I'm nobody in the aspect of like media and being small time but like if I was able to talk to like Charles Barkley or Stephen A Smith Stephen A Smith I wouldn't I really wouldn't have much to say he does you know he's one of those people when he speaks it's informed mm-hmm. he right. he's a, he knows what he's talking about and you know he's not just saying it Charles Barkley I would just be like don't forget where you come from mm-hmm. don't forget and the things that we don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like right. I know both of you guys, but I'm sure it's things that if you guys told me and maybe you'll tell me as we continue to have a friendship and grow and as you know, me to you, I can tell you things that when I tell you, you probably look at me and be like, you did that for real? Because everybody has that. Right. So you have to be mindful of how you judge. And the way I tell people in relationships, friendships and everything, be careful how harsh, how harsh you judge somebody. Yep. Because one day somebody's going to have to judge you and you may really truly be sorry for that. And if that person doesn't 
you know, give you that, right? Then it, I mean, it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow to truly be sorry for what you've done, and nobody believes you, right? And nobody takes you serious, and you not get that, you know, get that yeah. back. Yeah, and, and I think like. From Stephen A's perspective, I know Stephen A is very active in giving back exactly. and doing his part to time. make sure our next generation yep. is well informed yep, and yep. knows how to act right. And it's one thing to get on TV and talk about it and say this, that, and the third. But you know, I don't know if he really reached out to Josh Gordon, but I do know for a fact Stephen A. Smith is always. I mean, uh, I listen to uh, Steve Harvey in the morning. I know he speaks at Steve Harvey's thing every yeah. year. He is very passionate yeah. and active. I'm not sure the level of interaction Charles Barkley has. I don't really think he's that. I mean, he said it in his commercial, and I, I'm sure he's he up to it. He's not your kid's role model. Right. Yeah. But Stephen A. says, actually, I know I am. Yeah. I know kids watch me. Yeah. I'm going to go he's, and be yeah. active in their lives. Chris Carter, too, I know he, he runs a lot of football camps, yeah. and he has, like, you know, football programs, so he interacts with a lot of these kids, too. Mm-hmm. So from, from those two guys, like, I get where they're coming from because they do seem like they genuinely care. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you see what the, the impact they have on their community. And I think from a, a just a cultural standpoint, like if we don't do that, if we don't take care of our own, then it's hard for you to even carry out a, a conversation right. and an argument with anyone else yeah. if you have a certain view. If you're not actively trying to right. be, you know, change change uh, change the reality of where right. we're at. So. Right, right, exactly. And I agree. So um, just real quick, I want to talk about Chris Paul. I was telling you guys about how Chris Paul, you know, they were questioning – he was questioning Lauren uh, Holtkamp's technical foul call um, this past week between with uh, when Clippers played the Cavaliers. Now, you know, of course, with the name Lauren, it's a female, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, they just kind of implemented that, you know, female referees can, you know, be referee or have a job in the NBA. So basically the situation was, you know, they were um, taking the ball out and everybody knows that the Clippers move fast. They're, they're up and down the team, up and down the court uh, type of team. And basically on the inbound, she – Told you know she called a five second violation and Chris Paul was kind of like what you know you can see if you watch the video he just like for real and she tacked him up for that so he was like you're t- giving me a technical foul because of this and you know from what I saw it seemed like it was kind of happening throughout the game a lot of calls were just too quick she was quick with the call and you know after the game they asked him about it and he was just like I feel like if that's how she's gonna be that emotional and the aspect of calling fouls or technicals or whatever then maybe this is not you know the job for her. Well, you know, he was just saying it, I think, as a blanket statement for a referee period. He didn't say her gender or anything, but, of course, the media, they were, like, trying to make it to where it's like, okay, is he saying that because she's a female? So now, you know, he's taking flack for that. Right. So, I mean, women are emotional, you know. So a man. If you ever watch Joe Crawford, referee of oh, Spurs, man, and he hitting yeah. them things. It, and that's a, pr- I mean, a prime he, example. It, it's all about, I think a lot of it is just like, they're, look, referees are people too, man. And yeah. sometimes they just don't have a good relationship with a player. Point like here. Tim Duncan, you think that's the, the the most unthreatening player in the NBA. But Joe Crawford Boy, hates, hates Tim him. Duncan. Yeah, and Tim does. Duncan hates Joe Crawford. So he's quick <laughs> on the tech with yeah, Tim yeah. regardless. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, if it was Joe Crawford and he said that, would they have put the spin of right. gender dynamics into yeah. it? It's like, I don't think they would have. And, and 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 he didn't say anything about her gender. He right. was just like, I, this may not be for her. And that's not the first time you've heard a, a, a player say, hey, this may not be for, the, for referee. the referee. You know, mm-hmm. they, what, the NFL last year was killing the referees on those calls. Yeah. So I just think it's something to blow up. Like I say, one thing I've learned, man, in, in communications, man, is media, where there's no news, they make news. Oh, yeah. they have to. 
Yep. It's their, and, and you that's can their be livelihood. as precise can, and yeah. intentional as you want in what you say. They'll spin it. Yep. Especially if you already have an image, a certain kind of image, then they will, boy, I mean, it don't matter what Richard Sherman said, it don't matter what Marshawn Lynch say right now, they're going to spin it they and they're going to put it person. in that narrative. Yeah. yeah. And Chris Paul, person, Chris yeah. Paul is like a walking integrity. Like to me, he's, yeah. like, he's got some of the best integrity in the NBA. Exactly. And, and all the sports, right? You never hear any buffoonery coming out of Chris Paul, but you want to run. This is the story you yeah, want to run yeah. with. And, and that, you want to yeah. demonize this guy. Yeah. And Skip, you know, Skip Bayless was saying, he was like, you know, he he didn't agree. You know, he felt like he was wrong. And he was saying, you know, on the court, you know, he's like, you see him with this anger and taking cheap shots and bumping people. You know, Stephen A. Smith really got in. And he was like, if somebody bumps you, steps on your foot, hits you in the mouth with an elbow, you telling me you're not going to come back yeah, with a cheap shot to do something? Man. That's basketball. It's, right. it's sports. It's basketball. <laughs> you know, you and he, you know, he was like, you can't demonize this man for being chippy. He's normally the smallest guy on the he's court. He's the smallest right. guy. <laughs> right. So he has to be that He way. has to. And people bumping him. And everybody, Chris Paul, you know, he takes a beating. He flops a lot, but he takes a beating, man. Yeah. So for him to come back and be that, and not to be funny, everybody wants that in their point guard. That's why when you think about feisty point guards, there's not many now. Right. But Allen Iverson is off the top. Then you have Chris Paul. You had Gary Payton. Yeah, Gary Payton. Even even before that. Kevin Johnson from Phoenix back in the day. What's his name uh, from Detroit? Yeah. Isaiah uh, Thomas is the most chippy point guard. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I I just, I didn't agree with that. And I mean, when you think now, this day, what point guards jump off the page is chippy outside of Chris Paul, Westbrook? Westbrook. (laughs) That's really about it. Derrick Rose is physical, but he doesn't say, you know, he doesn't talk. He doesn't really say much. He just plays. And that's literally all I can think about. Yeah, yeah, just a certain level of aggression with the way they play. Exactly. Yeah. But Everybody's like Magic Johnson these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I had heard what he said because, I mean, I wonder what – I wonder what – he might have just should have been a little more careful about the the, the phrase words. that he – the words he used or something like that because I, I didn't even hear it, yeah. so I don't know. But, uh, I mean, I can see how they could have – Taking and run with it, not to justify them doing that, yeah, but yeah. depending on what he said, you know, I see how it could be taken the wrong way. I think a lot of times, you know – People say the race card from like a black person pulling the race card or a white person pulling the race. I just think the media pulls these cards, man, because it's so like it's. I think it's cheap reporting, personally. Like, yeah, it's cheap because you know if you're gonna pull a race card for every or a gender card for every little thing, it's like the political correctness debate. I mean, come on, man, let these guys live a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, but I, I, I personally, I think Chris Paul's a stand-up guy, and I don't. I think they misconstrued what he was trying yeah. to say. I found know? a snippet, so here you go, real quick. And Doc has talked to you about that. Was that a problem that you saw? Was yeah, that? but I, I think that just made it look worse. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, well, I let's see if it's playing. Give me one second. Same time. What in the world? It's picked up a lot. Of- that the young talk has talked to you about well, that. It's was not that a, good a problem I don't that know you, if you can hear it out yeah, there? But I, I think that- well, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but I, I really, I mean, like I say, with Chris Paul, man, I really, I don't think it's, I think, like you said, I think a lot of times they just try to make news. That yeah. I think that's where yeah. this one really boils down. It's just them trying to make news, and, you know, Chris Paul happens to be that one. And then, not to be funny, when you think about Chris Paul, when you make this kind of a situation or you make this note of what he's saying or what he's doing, you know, because it's Chris Paul and no one, he never gets in trouble. Then it yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Speaking still, of the Cavs, just like man, bulletin, they're rolling. Like bulletin board material, man. They they try to get you to say something. Yeah. That they can make a one line or a headline, and it's like, ooh, man, he's starting yeah. all kind of, you know. So. All right, let me see. This may be a clip. Let's try it again. 
Thank God we're not on live Big Talk Radio. Chris Paul was critical of referee Ooh, Lauren Holtkamp following yeah. a 105-94 loss to the Cavaliers you know, on, on Thursday night. Put up stuff just to be getting Paul follows. was. <laughs> 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 well, that's it. Well, I got like I said, I have a clip, man, but it's like 30 minutes long. We don't have that much time left on the yeah, show, so good. we're gonna have to end it with that. But again, we appreciate you guys for listening in again to the reality is here at utaradio.com. If you want to follow the show, like we said before, you can find us on Anthony Roberts on. Um, Facebook, click on the link. You can watch the video. It should be several of them this week. We also um, will post the link later on this week. You can listen to the podcast as well, again, at therealityis.com. Listen to us every Saturday from 12 to 2 at utaradio.com. And if you ever want to call in on the request line, it's 817-272-2651. We will be back again. Will you guys be back next week? I'll be here. Valentine's Day. I think so. Oh, man. Uh Uh-oh. It's going to be some good topics next week. Uh Uh-huh. I have a couple. I can't say them right now, but I've been writing them down. Let's just say, if you're in, if you're not in love, you may be breaking up next week. <laughs> so I hope, I hope that love thing is tight. <laughs> I hope it's nice and tight because oh, we're going to give you some topics about next week. Well, we appreciate you guys for uh, listening in again. This is Anthony Roberts, and you guys have a great weekend. Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds, and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC. Today on News 4 at 4, we're working for you. An inside look at the local COVID vaccine trial for kids. What children reported days after getting the shot and how it could impact the timeline of kids being vaccinated. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Tonight, it's the Voice Live Rounds, and Nick Jonas wants his first win. Let's get this done. Who's got what it takes and whose dream ends here? Watch live and vote to save your faves. The Voice Live Rounds, tonight on NBC.